Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Donald Trump and his people sort of let everybody know early on in the day, yesterday, beginning on another morning show, Kellyanne Conway came out and said that Donald Trump is not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton the way that he said he was going to do on the campaign trail. I think when the president-elect, who's also the head of your party now, Joe, tells you before he's even inaugurated, he doesn't wish to pursue these charges. It sends a very strong message, tone and content to the members. Well, well, well. Look at that. After campaigning on locking her up. I mean, he even said it in one of the debates, which he talked about being worried about Donald Trump having control of the Justice Department. And he said, well, you'd be in jail. So he's giving up on that campaign, uh, that campaign promise. Or is he? If you believe, by the way, that just because Donald Trump says now that he's not going to try and lock up Hillary Clinton, that that's the end of the story. And okay, well, we can move on here. Nothing else to see. He said he's not going to do it. And if nothing, if Donald Trump is nothing else, he's a man of his word. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't put too much stock in that, folks. He could absolutely... 100% 100% turnaround in 36 hours. Uh, you know what? I've changed my mind, folks. Uh, she's got to go to jail. Uh, it could happen. It could happen. I'm just saying, he's so unpredictable. He's so unpredictable. How unpredictable? Well, I hold here in my hot little hands. I know Jamie hates this, but I'm going to do it once. Hold here in my hot little hands. A piece from the New York Times. Trump, an interview, moderates views but defies conventions. Here's where it starts. He's already in this interview with the New York Times, which, by the way, he had scheduled to take place. Then he canceled. And then without anybody making any kind of concessions whatsoever, he just said, okay, we're back on. He sat down with the New York Times yesterday. Here are a couple of things that he had to say. First of all, he dropped his vow to jail Hillary Clinton. He expressed doubt about the value of torturing terrorism suspects and pledging to have an open mind on climate change. Three really, really big things. The thing that I find most interesting, by the way, is the torture and the waterboarding, because he's been meeting with this gentleman, uh, Mad Dog Mattis, James Mattis, this retired Marine Corps general. Who's a nutcase. Who looks like a total nutcase and doesn't have the greatest history. He is looking at him for Department of Defense. But what's so great about this is Trump asked him about waterboarding, and Mattis said, no, we don't torture. We as a country, we don't torture. And Donald Trump said that that alone might have changed his mind on the whole issue. He says that James Mattis told him that he never found it useful. And says that he found more value in building trust and rewarding cooperation with terrorism suspects. Quote, give me a pack of cigarettes and a couple of beers and I'll do better. Trump says, I was very impressed by that answer. 
torture is not going to make the kind of difference that a lot of people are thinking. So here's Trump. This this shows you how not only unpredictable Trump is, but how dangerous Trump is. I think yesterday was a great example of looking at someone who cannot make up their mind on what the hell they want to do. I'm going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. No, I'm not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. Climate change is a hoax. I never said that. Now he's back to saying like he's like can maybe see where there's some room for growth on climate change. We're going to waterboard. We're not going to waterboard. We're going to go even farther than waterboarding. We're going to torture. We're going to do even more extreme than waterboarding. That's what he said in one of the debates. He's going to go even farther than waterboarding. But then yesterday, after talking to one of the generals, he says he doesn't think that's the best thing to do. It's crazy, folks. It's it's so nuts, and it's so scary, and it's so um, uncertain. I guess that's the word I'm looking for is uncertain, which is not a place I like to be. It worries me. The other thing that is worth talking about is what Donald Trump is going to do to this country. We're talking about a full-blown rape and pillage of America. And I don't mean that in the hyperbolic sense of he's going to shake us to our very core and we're never going to be able to recover. I think we'll be fine after a while. But we will have never seen a president, never seen an elected official who's going to come into office with the sole purpose of profiting off of it, the way that Donald Trump has. In his interview with the New York Times, I'm going to read straight from this interview with the New York Times. Mr. Trump did not dispute reports that he had used a meeting last week with Nigel Farage, the U.K. uh, Independence Party leader, to raise his opposition to offshore wind farms. Mr. Trump has long complained that wind farms would mar the view of his golf course in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. I might have brought it up, Trump said, and then argued that he had done so because of policy concerns about wind farms rather than personal interest. That is BS. He's into this so that it's good for, so that he helps line his pockets. He doesn't like the wind farms. It makes his golf course look, look bad. As president, he's going to wield the power to shut them down. At best, at best, this is going to be a kleptocracy. Four years of him coming in and finding every little way that he can drain every last effing dime out of the American lands and the American people. That's goal number one. I don't think that he's some ideologue. I don't think that he wants to take away your right to get married to your same-sex partner, although that could be a possibility. I mean, all of these things could be possible. I don't think that he wants to outlaw abortion. I don't think that he wants to, uh, you know, redistrict anymore. I'm not so sure that he wants to start another war. I mean, he might do all of those things, and he might do some of them unintentionally. The one thing I know that he wants to do is make money off of the backs of the American people. And guess what? We just enabled him to do that. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm going to read this quote from this New York Times interview that he gave. When he was asked about his business and conflict, his businesses and whatever conflict that might be, he says, quote, listen carefully, guys. Listen carefully. Quote, the law is totally on my side. The president 
can't have a conflict of interest. Or when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Yeah, exactly. Right now, we go south a little ways down to North Kakalaki, where our friend Jeff Messer, 880 The Revolution in Asheville, is where you can hear Jeff Messer. Of course, you can find all that on the iHeartRadio app as well. So if you're not in the Asheville area and you want to hear Jeff, you can do that anywhere in America. And I highly suggest you do because uh, North Carolina's got some problems right now, huh, Jeff? Uh, now, now, now <laughs> yeah. we, we've had some problems, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about this governor's race, because as best I can tell, um, you guys are going to have a Democratic governor or not so fast? Well, uh, yes, we are. <clears throat> let me just go ahead and say, yes, we are. I, and, and first of all, as I was watching election night coverage, and it was around 1230 and all things were, were sort of headed in the wrong direction, I was desperately looking for a ray of hope, and so I flipped over to the state election page to see what the status of the race was. And the silver lining on election night was that with only four counties left uh, to report and then as much as 98% of the votes in, the Attorney General, Roy Cooper, the Democrat, running against Pat McCrory, was up by a couple of thousand votes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, there's, you know, over 5 million votes cast in the state, and he's winning by 2,000. Uh, and I thought, well, this is a silver lining because the counties left to report were heavily leaning in his direction. And I, and I was right, because by the time Wednesday had rolled around, he was up by just shy of 5,000 votes. Wow. Now, of course, uh, Pat McCrory, uh, he didn't like this very much because Pat threw in with Donald Trump and you know, in Pat's mind, he, he can't understand how, well, but, but Trump won, but Richard Burr won, but the, the lieutenant governor won. Why didn't I win? Why didn't I, I win? Know. So uh, he was throwing a little hissy fit, as they say in the South, and um, he demanded, uh, let's wait, let's look at the provisional ballots, let's look at the absentee ballots. And uh, as of the latest count, he is now behind by over 7,000 votes in, so- in some, some accounting. So the more they've counted, the more they've looked the further behind he has fallen. So, and, uh, yeah. so, so he wants a full recount. That's where we sit now, right? Yes, that's the, the latest news. Um, what does he have to be thankful for? Not much. Jeff, uh, <laughs> take a look for me uh, in your crystal balls, and do you think... <laughs> Do you think that he's got a shot at this recount, or, or is, is it sort of the indications all point to all of the counts so far have been against him, that this is just going to sort of put it in concrete? I would hope that there are smarter people around him, but you have to keep in mind that his lieutenant governor uh, is a guy whose name is Dan Forrest, and he ran with a slogan uh, last time and this time, the slogan, Run, Forest, Run. Oh, so he's not surrounding himself with the, the brightest and, and, you know, the best. Wait, is that, is that in reference to Forrest Gump or Nathaniel yes. Bedford Forrest? <laughs> uh, I believe it's a Forrest Gump. Reference. Okay. I believe it's a Forrest Gump. Okay. You know, uh, Run, Forest, Run, far, far away. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, as it, as it stands, um, he is looking to have a, a full recount because he just can't seem to, to understand why he didn't win, although most of us know why, and there are a lot of people in North Carolina who did, in fact, vote for Donald Trump, who also voted for Pat McCrory four years ago and are quite dissatisfied with what he has done to the economy of the state, to the teachers in the state. 
and the legislature bears some of the the burden of this as well, but he's the one that sort of owns it. And so he's the poster child, if you will, uh, for HB2, the infamous so-called bathroom bill, that uh, that he had a chance. The, the, The federal government, the DOJ, threatened to sue North Carolina because of civil rights violations, gave him until business closes on the following Monday to drop the bathroom part of that bill, which was just one part of a, a myriad of other really ugly things in that bill. And instead of using that as a, a, an opportunity to get out and then run on, oh, the big, bad, mean Obama administration is picking on us, but we got to fight, fight, fight. No, instead, he sued, he countersued the federal government over HB2, and basically, you know, he's living by it and dying by it in this election. Uh, And I I think it was baked in that, that, you know, the advantage was in his favor anyway, thanks to gerrymandering in our state. But even then, enough people were were sick of him. They were tired of this clown. And, uh, you know, and and here it is. He lost while his lieutenant governor won, which is insane. Yeah, it's it's totally insane. Let me me ask you this, because there's been some bedwetting and some fretting over what he could do. So play this out for me, because there have been some people who have said that if he just continues to stall and he doesn't accept the results and he continues to fight and put up legal challenges or ask for recounts, we're eventually going to get to a point where North Carolina is just going to need a governor. Right. So well, is yeah, that a poss- is there a possibility that this goes to the Republican legislature? Or what are we looking at here, Jeff? Well, the Speaker of, of the House here in North Carolina, Tim Moore, really doesn't want to do that. And he has said as much in, in recent days because that, that scenario came up a couple of days ago. It's like, well, if, if McCrory keeps you know, falling further behind in the vote count, but he keeps demanding that uh, dead people were voting or that you know, there were uh, you know, felons voting or multiple voting, he's, he's claiming fraud, which you know, works for Donald Trump, but somehow you know, it's, it's rigged. Oh, believe me, it's rigged. Uh, but as far as McCrory goes, he could run this out so that the uh, legislature has to decide. Like, if he, he keeps stalling long enough, they would have to decide. But they're not exactly the best of friends. He has had plenty of issues with the Republicans in the General Assembly here in North Carolina. There's a lot of infighting that's going on, and um, I, I don't think they want to take that because that will be – well, I mean, how, how will it look, right? The yeah. legislature goes, we don't like this guy, and he keeps putting up a fight, but we're going to give it to him anyway. It, it looks like they're rigging it in his favor. Right. And I, I don't think they want to play that card. They want this to be settled long before it comes to that. So uh, I think they're discouraging him from stalling past a certain point. Now, the recount that he's demanding, uh, you know, we're talking 7,000 votes, so out of over 5 million, uh, it makes sense to do the recount. But I just don't see him making up those – numbers in the recount without stealing it, without trying to cheat or find some way to, to fix it. And he seems to be in a very desperate sort of place. Yeah. Uh, I, I, ironically, uh, I said this on my show yesterday, uh, you know, he, he sort of, uh, you know, planted his flag on the hill of, of HB2, you know, the bathroom bill and all of that jazz. Uh, ironically, I think Roy Cooper is going to be moving in uh, after Inauguration Day, and they're going to find Pat hiding in a locked bathroom, refusing to leave. Uh, and there's, from, there's a, there's a you'll term. take this governorship from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> well, and, and I used the phrase yesterday. I said, uh, ironically, uh, Pat McCrory is going to become a, a human hanger-on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. No, no matter how hard you try to push him out, he's just going to cling right there. Yeah. Joining me now is social media editor 
from the Daily Beast and our good friend, my good friend, Aswin Soup, saying, hey, Swen, how you doing, man? I'm all right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy. Oh, sorry. Merry Christmas. Yeah, please. Please. The war, you know, every year the what? war on Christmas starts earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, happy Thanksgiving Eve. We'll start there. Let, let's start with that. Let's, yeah. let's, we'll, let's start with that. We'll go from there. Thanksgiving is the greatest holiday. Yes or no? Um, I certainly think it is. Yeah, that's right. I love Thanksgiving. How about yourself? It's the best holiday. It is the best holiday. You can follow Swin. Uh, on Twitter at Swin24, Swin24, and read his good work online at The Daily Beast. We got a lot of good folks in from The Daily Beast. Uh, so I appreciate you coming in, man. Anytime, man. You had uh, a very interesting weekend. Uh, my past weekend was a uh, typical weekend yeah. for your average <laughs> was it? reporter. Um, I was, uh, many of your listeners and viewers might have heard of the uh, white nationalist pro-Donald Trump conference uh, yes. um, that was held this past weekend in the Ronald Reagan building, uh, hosted by uh, NPI, which is a white nationalist, white supremacist think tank run by a guy named Richard Spencer. Can I, can I stop you really quickly? Sure. In the Ronald Reagan building, mm-hmm. in a federal building. Yes. How does that happen? Uh, they they were very clear about this. The Ronald Reagan building does not have the right to turn you away because it's a federal building purely based on ideology. So if if I'm leading a KKK group, I can I meet at the Ronald Reagan building? I honestly don't know. I haven't looked into that. But huh. as far as I know, that that was their explanation. They okay. were like, look, it's That's not endorsement of the views. I'm just, just curious that, about that because yeah. it seems odd. I, it's a, I think it's a free speech freedom of assembly okay. thing. That's fair. Um, I, I, I have not myself tried to um, book a room in the Ronald Reagan building for my Asian supremacist group. <laughs> so I, I can I, I ha- come to that, by the way? Uh, sure. Why not? Everybody's welcomed. Uh, <laughs> but everybody's welcome at the Asian supremacist group. Sure, why, but the white supremacist yeah. group, whites only. Well, I was allowed in. Oh, good. Oh, that's nice. Uh, black reporters were allowed in. Is it- can I can I ask you just an indelicate question? Of course. How did that go? As as well, it, it was funny because like, uh, I mean, just on Richard, a personal level of walking into a group like that of white nationalists, white supremacists. Well, I've actually uh, hung out and interacted with these types a lot, especially over the past year, because sure. sort of with the advent of Trumpism, they've glommed on to that uh, to try to get a renewed sense of relevance or media visibility, um, because. White nationalists are in love with Donald Trump's policies when it comes to his extreme positions on immigration, the Muslim ban, uh, Mexicans are rapists, uh, kick out uh, the um, uh, all the illegal immigrants, uh, political correctness, quote unquote political correctness, however you want to define it, is bad. Mm-hmm. These are all things that the so-called alt-right, which is a fancy term for white nationalist, which is a fancy term for white supremacists or perhaps even neo-Nazi, yes. have 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 uh, leached onto, thinking that, okay, uh, not only do we agree with this wholeheartedly, not only do we think we have a friend in the White House now, but this is a way we can sort of try to mainstream, which is what Richard Spencer, who's uh, one of the leaders of uh, this this alt-right white nationalist movement, have been trying to do for years. <sighs> They've been trying to gain gain more respectability, and shall I say. Can I, let me ask you this. Do you, the alt-right... Yes. The phrase alt-right, mm-hmm. which has evolved into, I mean, I think that's the nice way of saying um, radical racist or or white supremacist or anything like that. Is there, is there some sort of normalizing going on by using the term alt-right or should we just call them racists? Um, I, 
I think it's an okay term to use as long as you're very clear to your readers, listeners, or viewers, racist, alt-right, anti-Semitic, alt-right, white nationalist, alt-right. These are important things. Like, if this is what they're, uh, the phrase they're trying to go by, and look, like, alt-right, you're a member of the so-called alt-right. They're a couple, like every other political movement, however small or large, they're different factions mm -hmm. to it. So you're not necessarily a Richard Spencer or Jared Taylor or Peter Brimlow type uh, racist or white nationalist if you identify as alt-right. So there's a, it's a tiny bit larger of an umbrella and a little bit more complicated uh, than, than saying just, oh, if you're alt-right, you're definitely a skinhead or a neo-Nazi. Sure. So I think it's fine, but you have to be very clear to your readers and listeners exactly what these guys are, and they are largely motivated by hatred of immigrants and hatred by people who are not quote-unquote white, whatever white means. By the way, most of these guys do not think Jews are white, so let's be very clear about yeah, that. Yeah, we saw the Chiron on CNN earlier this week, are Jews people? Oh, the, the, Which was referencing a, a comment that Richard Spencer had made, wasn't that? Sure, uh, I gotta be honest, and we don't have to get too far into the weeds with that, that CNN uh, uh, Chiron was sort of misinterpreted what Richard Spencer said, which is kind of a shame because you don't really have to take Richard Spencer out of context to make him seem anti-Semitic. He, he's very... He's already anti-Semitic. Right, like, Jamie, don't we have that clip? Don't we have that? that. Jamie's pulling up the, one of the clips of Richard Spencer and how he spoke... Uh, uh, about Jews in America. But, you know, really quickly, yesterday Donald Trump sat down with the New York Times and he said about Steve Bannon, I've known Steve Bannon a long time. If I thought he was racist or alt-right, I wouldn't even think about hiring him. Now, in the past, Steve Bannon has plainly called himself a member of the alt-right movement. He, he has explicitly said that Breitbart is the platform right. of the alt-right. And Breitbart has given voice... Um, to a bunch of these alt-right voices, and also uh, had a very long article um, defending the alt-right and calling people like Richard Spencer intellectuals and like great people. So uh, the connection between uh, Steve Bannon and the alt-right is definitely there. Can we hear one of the, a clip from that great intellectual Richard Spencer, by the way? One wonders if these people are people at all, <laughs> or instead soulless golems animated by some dark power to repeat whatever talking point John Oliver stated the night before. Soulless Gollum. Uh, is he talking about the media? Well, he says one wonders if these are people at all. Yeah, I think he's talking about, uh, like, reporters. Okay. All right. but, but, but regardless, uh, he has uh, whatever he said there during um, um, – the same conference this past Saturday, mm -hmm. he he and his uh, white nationalist supporters who were there in the crowd in the atrium of the Ronald Reagan building also went along with a Heil our people, Heil Donald Trump chant. Richard Spencer has said, uh, um, um, has waded into anti-Semitism before. He tries to be more careful about it than your average um, uh, neo-Nazi because he again he's trying to mainstream he, he even though he holds anti-semitic views and doesn't like jews we know this um he he does not come out he tries to not come out and say jews are bad you know what i mean ah <laughs> uh, yes he's he, he, he is a leader of I mean, the racist some... alt-right who's right. trying to make it more palatable right. and that's, gain that's more followers. Get. So he doesn't want to seem like you're like granddaddy's Nazi. Right. I, I, I totally. Yeah. This, so this, he's trying I, to I'm normalize. I'm not defending him. I'm I know, saying no, no, this I, is very, uh, it's clever window dressing. I know, what you, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and in a lot of ways, 
this gets back to one of the things that the president said quite famously when he sat down with Mark Maron. He says, racism isn't just someone coming up to you and calling you the N-word to your face. Right, of course. Right, like they've gotten better at packaging that. The branding on the whole uh, racist content sure. has gotten a lot and better. There's there, there's quite a bit of confusion, and maybe one day we'll get to the bottom of this, um, of how big the so-called alt-right movement is right That's now. That's what I wanted to ask you next. Sure. It's, um, and that... We still have some figuring out to do. It's There's not exactly an alt-right party registry like there is for Republicans or Democrats or even Democratic socialists in this country mm-hmm. or libertarians. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit hard to even get kind of a vague uh, number of it. But let's just be clear why they're getting so much attention right now. It's not the media being unfair and blowing up like maybe a few hundred uh, super racists into this nefarious cabal that suddenly every media organization needs to shine a spotlight on. The reason this is being covered as much as it is by mainstream and other press is because Stephen K. Bannon, former head of Breitbart, who's about to enter the incoming Donald Trump administration and become one of the most powerful people on the face of the planet as Donald Trump's chief advisor, has said that his website that he ran for years was a platform and a major booster of the alt-right. And and when you look at the alt-right, these are the characters crawling within it. And leading the movement. So that's why it deserves a second look, because the alt-right now believes, uh, and, you know, sort of rightfully so, that they have a foothold into the White House. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Danielle Gibbs Leger is in here with me, folks. (laughs) What is Donald Trump's bank account going to look like? What are his funds going to look like? Well, for that, we turn to politics reporter for the Washington Post, David Farenthold, or you can follow on Twitter at Farenthold, that's F-A-H-R-E-N-T-H-O-L-D, and read his good work at WashingtonPost.com. Hey, David, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. You have been on the trail of the Donald Trump money trail for a long, long time, and nobody has done a better job than you. Uh, And yet here we are, even though he has been elected president, there's even more murky, muddy, nasty um, uh, looks in his uh, finances. Tell us the latest. What we know is that the Donald J. Trump Foundation, which is Trump's personal charity, has now admitted to the IRS something it had never admitted before, which was it uh, had violated the law against self-dealing. Now, that means that Trump uh, used the money in his charity, which is supposed to be for the charitable purposes, supposed to be for the public good, that he used the money in his charity to buy things for himself or to buy things for his business. Uh, he never, we knew he'd done it, but he'd never admitted it before. Now he's admitted it, saying it happened both in 2015 and in the past. Okay, so... Is that illegal? Yes, yes, it's illegal. Okay. Uh, All right, so case closed. All right, so so what happens now, David? Well, it's not the kind of illegal you go to jail for uh, in most cases. It's mostly uh, 
what, we, what Trump probably has done, and we don't have the paperwork on this yet, is send the IRS a separate tax form that says, look, here are all the specific instances where I broke the law, and here are the penalty taxes that I'm going to pay. Here's where I'm reimbursing my foundation for the money it's spent to help me. Um, and, and then hoping the IRS will consider the case closed. Uh, we don't know the details of that yet, but we're working on it. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, it, it seems to me like this is going to be a conflict um, for the entire Donald Trump presidency, right? Because he just has so many business dealings that is something's bound to catch up with him? Or am I, I mean, what do you, what's your take on that? Well, I know that's looking down the line, but... Well, the thing looking forward, actually, that was really interesting, separate from the, this admissions of self-dealing, uh, and in the same tax filing we saw that in 2015, when Trump was already running for president, he got $150,000 for his foundation from a guy named Viktor Pinchuk, a really big Ukrainian steel magnate, and somebody who's really been trying to influence U.S. foreign policy towards Ukraine. Somebody wants Ukraine to be more pro-Western. So he given that the same guy had given a lot of money to the Clinton Foundation, and Hillary Clinton has been under a lot of scrutiny for whether she showed him and his cause more favoritism while she was Secretary of State. Well, here's uh, this guy giving Trump $150,000 for his foundation for a 20-minute, bailed-in, basically, video link speech that Trump made to a conference this guy was running. And when did that, so, ha- that this happen? Last year? Yeah, September 2015. Wait, uh, he was running for president at that he point. Was for, he was way into the campaign for president. And so he, you can see how this, the videos online. He, he does this video conference where he mostly talks about the things he was talking about in his campaign, building the wall, blah, 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 for this audience of people who were in Kiev focused on uh, Ukraine. So, uh, and he puts $150,000 into the Trump Foundation, which, as we know, Trump has used to buy things for himself and benefit. Good God! So, so while... He is lambasting the Clinton Foundation for "quote unquote" pay to play. He is sort of doing the same thing. Well, uh, at that point, Trump was just a candidate. He didn't have any official power. But uh, the question this raises is: Okay, now we know the foundation is a backdoor for folks uh, in foreign countries, foreign businessmen, and even U.S. domestic companies who want to influence President Trump. Uh, they can give to his foundation. And uh, the way the IRS reporting schedule works, we wouldn't know about it until November of the following year. Oh, so if, my God. Yeah, somebody gives Trump a million dollars for his foundation on January 21st, the day after he's inaugurated, we won't know about it until November of 2018. Uh, so that's going to be a real problem for Trump going forward if he continues to keep his foundation open. Okay, here's something here, here, Here's something I just want to throw out there. This might be a little bit of a take quake. I'm not sure if this has actual legs. But Donald Trump seems to have an issue with projecting his own problems onto other people. So when he was running around accusing Bill Clinton of sexually assaulting women, it turns out he was actually doing it. When he was accusing Hillary Clinton of taking money and uh, and, and pay for play, it turns out he was actually doing it. He was also running around saying that Hillary Clinton was going to rig the election. Oh, I wonder if... <laughs> Maybe he was projecting something that we don't know about yet. I'm just saying. Just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. I just want to get that on record for when and if something like that does happen in the future where we find out he did rig the, rig the election. All you have to do is just look at what he's accusing other people of doing, and he's probably doing it himself. Well, one of the interesting things I've seen today since that story came out was a lot of Trump supporters have emailed me and said, why don't you cover the Clinton Foundation? Why don't you cover this? And the problem for Trump now is that Clinton is off the stage. I mean, right. it's just mm-hmm. him. And and there's no, you know, the, you can't say, well, we'll look at my opponent. There is no opponent. He's the president-elect. He will be the president. And so these, uh, 
you know, these issues, he's going to bear the scrutiny alone on conflicts of interest with his business and his foundation and other things. So that's what he wanted. And, you know, the, that's the downside of losing is that, you, you know, there's nobody else to compare yourself to. It's just you. Yeah, exactly. Winning was easy. Governing yeah. is harder. Yeah. Quote yeah. Hamilton. Um, David, I have a question about tax returns. Um, now that he is president, uh, doesn't he have to release his taxes at some point this year, like all presidents as, do? As I understand it, that is a custom and not a law, so he doesn't actually have to do it. Oh, you see. Uh, and uh, since he's been willing to violate the custom that president presidential candidates to release their tax returns, I find it very unlikely that he would. Wow, I was really banking on that being an actual thing that all federal employees, including the president, had to do. I didn't realize that that was just a custom as well. Well, you know, there's, there's balance of power reasons that Congress has exempted the president and the vice president from the very strict reporting requirements that Congress has put on so many other federal employees. All federal employees have to divest. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they have to uh, detail their foreign investments and in influence from overseas. Um, and that kind of thing, you know, it's a very, it's quite detailed. And Trump is going to, you know, legally doesn't have to do any of it. The question for him is whether he wants to spend all his political capital fighting every day about how much, you know, his, his decision to keep doing his business and running his business, running his foundation while in office. Uh, I think that is not going to go away, and it's going to eat up the momentum he had to do anything else. It is amazing to me that when I went to go work for Obama in '09. I had to do more than Donald Trump did. Yeah. I'm a dual citizen. I had to turn in my French passport, and I had to get off the right? boards. Yeah. They were like, you'll get this back when you leave. I was like, okay. It's It really boggles my mind. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable. Uh, David Farenthold is uh, joining us. He's politics reporter for The Washington Post. Uh, I'm Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press with Daniela Gibbs-Leger uh, is in here as well. David, let me ask you this question. Uh, a, a quote from Donald Trump yesterday when he met uh, the New York Times. Quote, the law is totally on my side. The president can't have a conflict of interest. End quote. Which sounds Nixon-esque at best. <laughs> but what uh, does he mean by that? And is that true? Oh, it's not true. Yeah, uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> as I mean, it, it, as I said, some of the laws that Congress has passed exempt the president for balance of power reasons. So the president, you know, the idea is that the voters will be the, the ultimate background check, and you know, he doesn't need to submit all his holdings the way that other federal employees do. But uh, so in that way, there there are no, com- you know, the conflict of interest laws in some cases don't legally apply to the president. But the Constitution contains a clause saying the president cannot take emoluments, payments from foreign governments. Uh, and so if he's going to have foreign governments paying to stay in his Trump hotel and he gets the money, then that's, I think that puts him in serious danger. Uh, and also, just because the law doesn't say it doesn't mean that uh, it, there's not an ethical, or moral, or governmental reason for the president to avoid conflicts of interest. And I think the idea that because the letter of the law doesn't, doesn't you know, make him the same as other federal employees, I think if he thinks he's going to get away with this, then he's not going to suffer a political consequence for it, and it's not unethical. I think he's wrong. I think he really is uh, underestimating uh, the difficulty of this. I really hope you're right, because the fact that he was elected um, doesn't give me much hope that that's the case. But I, I for the sake of our democracy, uh, I really hope you're right. I mean, yeah, I, I, one of the things that, that I've been saying, and I think a lot of people are saying, is like there's nothing magical about Donald Trump. I mean, there's some idea among some people that you know this is the nothing matters candidate, that nobody cared about anything he did because... Uh, because he won, which that wasn't true during the campaign. People cared a lot. People care a lot now. But now that he's president, uh, like I said, there's no Hillary Clinton. There's nobody to run against. There's no there's no campaign. 
he's governing. And so we treat him like his name is Donald Smith. You know, he's out there to do the job that he, you know, told us he could do. So I think the idea that, you know, there's some sort of Trump magic that makes this stuff all go away is wrong. It's going to be, and I think you will find out how wrong it is in the next few weeks. All right. David Fahrenholt from the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Peter Ogden with Daniela Gibbs-Leger. Daniela, tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Yes, it is. What are you thankful for? Uh, I'm thankful for my family. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're keeping me sane, you know, except when my husband watches Morning Joe. Um, but they're keeping me sane. <laughs> <laughs> these That's a good one. I'm thankful for my kids. Not maybe not my parents because they voted for Trump. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, maybe we'll hash that out over the holiday. Yeah, good luck. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Really, truly, I, I hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank and you. from all of us here at the Bill Price Show, uh, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. We're gonna take a couple days off. We'll be back Monday. So uh, have a great holiday. This is the Bill Price Show. <laughs>